Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 15th episode of the Tuesday Night Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I am your host, SBJ, and with me today, I have Alan. Hooray! Happy New Year, Alan. <laughs> I picture you like bursting out of like a creature's skin right there and emerging all bloody. I'm Alan Gerding. Hey, yeah, I'm a co-owner of Tuesday Night Games. We made two rooms and a boom. Yeah, and I do other stuff. Other stuff. Yeah. And then we have Sean with us today. I am Sean, defeater of mortals, eater of souls, and out of stalker of two rooms and a boom. <laughs> it's uh, the first time all three of us have gotten back together. And actually, uh, this is the first time we've been talking verbally. I guess you can only talk verbally. But since the, since the last time, yeah. 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 I, I, I'm going to apologize on air here because I have not listened to Alan's holiday spectacular. I was going to ask you if you were a son of a bitch or not. <laughs> But thanks for just coming out without me having to I listened to the first 15 minutes of the first one because I did. I, I was mostly listening to judge your quality. There you oh, go. Okay. <laughs> uh, that was the Star Wars one, the Star Wars recap yep. one. Yeah. And uh, to be honest, I stopped listening because I didn't. I was Once in spoiled. the process of watching those movies. Gotcha. Oh. Gotcha. Sean, did you listen to any of them? You don't have to lie to me. I listened. To none of them. <laughs> I hate you guys. <laughs> I'm so working on it. I'm, I'm going to do it. I hey, will no do pressure. It. I mean, it just, it's, yeah, it's. To our listeners at home, I don't listen to this podcast either. <laughs> I get on, I talk my nonsense, and then I go back to my stupid life at staring at my phone and. Makes sense. Eating. Shitting. <laughs> well, I can, I can make you feel better, Alan, and tell you that the numbers for download download wise mat closely match a normal episode. Oh, sweet. That's so cool. people were listening to them. People I totally it. messed up on the most recent one where I interviewed Michael J. Fox. I uploaded it. <laughs> it's weird because when I export it to an MP3 file, it messed it up because I went back and it was fine. So now That's what happened I, with the like the 12th episode. It got all garbled. Yeah, so this stuff happens, but it was horrible because it just bumped the intro song up a minute. So there's like this minute of silence in the beginning. And then as we're talking, all of a sudden the music comes on and just totally covers up what we were saying. So, whoops. <laughs> it's all right. Things happen. Yeah. But besides that, how are your holidays, gentlemen? My holidays were great. Um... I really had a great time hanging out with my brothers, played some old school games, really had a vintage gaming holiday. Uh, I finally, near the end, started to feel the pressure because I've only celebrated Christmas since I was like 10. And so like I've always been very like excited for Christmas and like, oh, people are stressed out about the holidays. It doesn't matter. It's so fun. Um, but this year, <laughs> near the end, it finally started to like, oh, I've got to go back to work and I've got so much work to do. And like there are all these parties and people coming into town and out of town and like, you know, social like organizing secret tenants and stuff where I was like, I get it. I get why people like, you know, why they get burned out on Christmas because it's a lot of work. Let's not gloss over the most interesting part of what you just said. You didn't celebrate Christmas until you're 10 years of age. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming it's because 
test tube baby with accelerated genetic growth mm -hmm. pattern. Yeah. yeah. So you're a lab baby and you didn't gain cognizance until you were 10 years of age. And that's. I was the first in a, in a line of super soldier rejects. Um, you were the were... leftover crap like Danny DeVito in the twins movie. With exactly like that, except not as funny because Danny DeVito is famous and I'm just me. <laughs> no, we, we were in a uh, cult. We were in a cult. Yeah, we were in a religious organization that did not celebrate any uh, major holidays, birthdays included, I want to say, but I don't remember. Um, we celebrated religious holidays, which was cool because I got to travel the world a lot, but sad because I've never I've never dressed up for Halloween. I've dressed up for Halloween as like an adult, like at a party, but I've never gone trick like or treat. a sexy Halloween party. Yeah, I dressed up as Prince the one time I can remember dressing up. So it was pretty sexy. What was the name of this cult? <laughs> it was called the Worldwide Church of God, and it's famous for being, you know, an offshoot of Christianity, a and very wrestling. widespread one, and wrestling, <laughs> that eventually reformed back into what most Christians would call, consider mainstream Christianity. But yeah, uh, I was in that from when I was born until I was about 10 years old, until my youngest brother, Liam, was born. When he was born was when we started celebrating Christmas. Sometimes when you or Alan tell a story, you tell it with such, you've told stories with such seriousness that sometimes I can't tell if. If we're joking or not. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. good. Keep, keep you on your toes. Good. It's like the hateful eight. Am I who I say I am? That movie's good. Hey, you watched it and you liked it? I, I'm a big Quentin Tarantino fan. Oh, Me too. You just, Alan you just too. won so many points. I Fuck actually, this podcast. Let's just yeah, talk about Quentin Tarantino for Tarantino all night long. Oh, my goodness. I, I can't even explain enough how big of a Tarantino <laughs> fan I am. I wrote a thesis paper on him uh, to get my philosophy degree. That's, That's awesome. awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a big fan. But we'll, maybe we can do a one-off of the three of us just talking about Tarantino films. Easy. It'd be easy. easy yeah. Easy. Yeah. Well, board game wise, we have a mm. simple show for you guys. We have a what you've been playing. I think we've all played something over the holidays. So absolutely expect some elevator pitches. And then Alan brought up this topic that we touched on the last time we recorded. I think it was the last time it was whether or not foam guns or non-foam gun guns are a necessity. For World Championship Russian Roulette because we're getting a go time and we need to figure it out if we're going to have a game with foam guns in it or not. Yeah. So it's a complex topic, yeah. It'll kind of be cool because, I mean, you guys are making the game right now and we can always talk about board games, but it's very rare that we can talk about a game being made in the process. So yeah. it'll be a treat buckle, for our listeners. Buckle up. <laughs> uh, so let's start off with our first topic of table talk. And Alan, why don't you go first? Let's. Oh, jeez, you guys. Uh, once again, I think an easier question is, what haven't I been playing? <laughs> right. What What haven't you been playing? Uh chess. I haven't mm -hmm. been playing chess, as you said. Not but a lot of chess. We haven't talked in a while, so I played a whole bunch of games, and I got a crap ton of games for Christmas. If you looked at my Amazon wish list, it was nothing but games. But here are some uh, of the ones that stand out that I think are unique that we haven't talked too much about. Warhammer Quest Adventure Card Game. Skip. Blah. Dark Moon. <laughs> 
you've you've actually talked a little bit about Dark Moon before, Sean. Mm-hmm. Dungeon Fighter One Quarters meets cooperative campaign. Dungeon game with the the target on it, right? Yeah, you got to bounce your dice into mm-hmm. a target. Linko, which is by Ravensburger, it's a trick taking type game, but not really. It's a unique game. Bears, a lot of bears. Fireside games. Justin Dewitt. Deep Sea Adventure from Oink Games. Yeah. And then Keep. So, of those, let me just say uh, Keep was a Kickstarter and it was a drafting game that had some sort of abilities where you could play a card and it had an ability. And you took turns instead of everyone going at once. And everyone's response was unanimous. We just thought, hey, this is not as good as Sushi Go. Let's play Sushi Go. Uh, so we all played Sushi Go right after it. That's fair. I'm looking at the art. The art's kind of cute. Yeah, it's kind of cute. The game just doesn't... So there's issues, and I could talk about the issues of that. But I was thinking I'd talk about Deep Sea Adventure. Gonna, yeah, that's the one that sounded It's succulent. just got such a riveting, non-boring title. Right. Although I'm sure the title is something in Japanese, and we just call it Deep Sea Adventure. Well, it is from Oink Games, so it's in one of those custom real small box games, which I want so badly for our small box games, but that's another topic for another day. But the Deep Sea Adventure game, Japanese, and it has real broken English rules, but it's decent. Lots of typos in English, but it was a really fun game. We really enjoyed it. You going to pitch it to us? You want the elevator pitch? Yeah. All right. Give me someone that I'm going to be pitching to. Scuba diver. Yep. (laughs) Scuba diver. Okay. A scuba diver who's running out of oxygen, and he wants you to help him, but you're too busy pitching this game. Okay. (laughs) Sounds good. Uh, Ding me, SBJ. Hey, uh uh-oh, you look like you're in trouble. You need some oxygen. You really need some air. Well, speaking of air, let me tell you about this fresh breath of air because it is known as Deep Sea Adventure by Oink Games. The designer is Jun Sasaki and it plays three to six players, probably best with four players. But get this, you'd be really interested in this because it's all about diving and that's what you are, man. So imagine off of the coast of somewhere, it is rumored that treasure is at the bottom of the ocean. So you and a whole bunch of other people competing to get the treasure decide you're going to go and get it. But you don't have a lot of money. Imagine that. So you're on a shoestring budget. So all of you and your competitors get in on this together and rent a small submarine to go after that treasure. And you have to dive from the submarine and go deep into the ocean in order to pick up that treasure. The more valuable treasure is the treasure that's at the deepest. But not only are you sharing the submarine, you're also sharing your only air supply because you have old-timey dive suits with oxygen tubes going all the way back to the sub. So here's the basis of the game. The deeper you go, the better the treasure. But every time you pick up treasure, you use more oxygen, so you're running out of oxygen quicker. Anytime everyone runs out of oxygen, you have to drop everything you have. So every turn you have to decide, am I gonna go deeper or am I going to turn on back? 
But again, if you run out of air, you drop what you've already carried and it goes down to the bottom of the ocean working as a catch-up mechanism. So if you go really deep, then not only do you pick up that stuff, but all the stuff other people have dropped, man. Oh my God, you're dead. Oh well, I guess since you ran out of oxygen, I'll just have to play this with four of my friends. That was a long elevator pitch. SBJ, what's up, man? Does, I mean, it was long. I don't like to cut people off because then they get all like distorted and then... Was that like two minutes? How long was two that? Minutes, two minutes, yeah, two, oh, two minutes. Well, yeah, he couldn't hold his breath. That's, yeah, my bad. Oops. That guy died. SBJ, what you should do is just take Alan's audio and speed it up to fit into a minute. <laughs> yeah. I just, I just really like the theme of the game that you're all just poor sharing a single oxygen tank going down. So I just wanted to establish that atmosphere because it, you can totally feel it as you're playing because there's this tension. It's a press your luck game. It's very interesting. And it's, it's, it's really cool. It's not co-op, even though you're all sharing. No, it's totally competitive. It's just to save money, you're all sharing oxygen. <laughs> so everyone at the beginning isn't using any oxygen. The only time oxygen get, gets used is at the beginning of your turn, you have to reduce the oxygen uh, based upon the amount of treasure tokens you have. So at the beginning, you have none, so you're not wasting any oxygen. But at the beginning of your turn, if you picked up a uh, treasure, then it, now you reduce it by one. But you're playing with other players, so someone who gets three treasures, at the beginning of their turn, they're using three oxygen units, and there's only 25, so it goes really fast. In the game we played, one person clearly won, and it's because they grabbed one treasure and ran back right away. Everyone else just ran out of air because it just spirals so quickly. <laughs> it's amazing. So you liked it. You enjoyed the game. Yeah, I would play again because it's so cute. It's so simple. It's so easy to teach. It's, was it, it's was this, a, this wasn't a Kickstarter. No. no, no. This is Oink Games. They're the Japanese ones. And was yeah. it like $20? $15? You know, it was a Christmas gift, but you can buy it right now at Board Game Geek for $22. Okay. So, yeah, it goes about $20. It has a really small box, but that kind of adds to it. <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes I like big boxes that fit with other big boxes on my bookshelf. You guys ever opened the Guild? You guys ever play the Guild? I have not. The Guild has this big box, and you open it, and literally it's just a single deck of about oh, 52 cards. It's hilarious. <laughs> That's funny to me. It's hilarious. Do you want to touch on any of these other games? That I listed? No. Yeah. It's all, <laughs> okay. It's, oh, it's, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, we got to move on because we got we to gotta keep this nice and tight. We got to stay got on track. We got shit to do. Yeah. Tight it up. Uh, be. Sean, what do you got? Uh, I played my brother Trevor uh, for Christmas, got me a bunch of old Dungeoneer Judges Guild magazines for my D&D running, but he also got me the English 3rd edition from 1981 version of the board game dungeon Ooh. uh which i have never played before but i actually wanted it was on my wish list like just the new version like oh i'll check this out because i know in a lot of ways it was the precursor to D D. and then uh, me and my girlfriend have been playing a lot of plato 3000 because i introduced it to her and she loves it and so it's very easy she will request to play it when we are bored i don't have to say <laughs> like let's play a board game we could play plato 3000 she'll be like hey can we play this um so that makes my life a lot easier wow Little known fact about Plato 3000, arguably my favorite game, period. 
It's good. It's really, really good. I mean, I I wouldn't think you'd be out of uh, out of line for 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 having that as your favorite game. Yeah, as a kid, I was a big Rummy fan, Gin Rummy rather, and it's Gin with abilities. Smooth. Is it just two player? Two to four. Two to, two four. to four. Yeah, it's it's questionable at three. It's two or four, I think. I don't. I've never. No, played it's it it's two to four, but the three three player version is a little wonky. Four player is amazing because you play with teams. It's yeah, incredible. It's good. Yeah, but I want to hear an elevator pitch for Dungeon. Absolutely. Who I, I want to be somebody. I don't want to pitch to somebody. Oh, you want to be someone? I want to be somebody. <laughs> all right. How don't about, we all want to be somebody? Be somebody or be somebody's fool, as Mr. Mm-hmm. T would say. All right. Let's uh, make you an old miner who th- likes to pretend that he's a mage while working on the coal mine. <laughs> all right. Here we go. And... Well, well, Sonny, I'm old Prospector Wizard Magoo, and I'm here to tell you about a game called Dungeon, the English third edition from 1981. Dungeon is a game like D&D, but a board game for one to eight players. It takes 30 minutes or more, but it could go on forever because games were designed poorly back then. Play as either a wizard, a superhero, a hero, or an elf, which is totally weird, You fight monsters and acquire treasure. The lower levels you go, the more powerful the monsters are, but the better the treasure is too. (laughs) This game was unique in that it uh, competed with other games of its time and showed the world what more interesting gaming could be like, but held up to today's standards, it's a pretty shitty game. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah. Um, I mean, Dungeon is basically, it's like fantasy um, candy land. You move five spaces, you go into a room, you fight a monster, you get treasure. The monsters and the treasure are random, but they get harder and better depending on what levels you go. It sounds like Munchkin. Yeah, I guess it's kind of like Munchkin. Um, the 1981 version is cool because like the, the cards are terrible. The art is so old. Um does it have that smell? I love it does. It. It's got old that smell. Games. It's got that old game smell. One thing I liked about it, which a lot of companies could take from now, is the rule book is about three pages long. Um, and it even has a tearaway page for an intro game. So that's including the tearaway page. It's like two, two pages long. You could tear away and play a small version of the game, um, which is pretty fun. But I feel like the equivalent game now would be like an eight page rule book minimum. Uh, so they, they really dive into it quickly. It's it doesn't have a ketchup mechanic. It's got player elimination. Um, it's got a ton of randomness. You could just totally die, lose all your treasure. But it's the kind of game sort of like Hero Quest that I could remember seeing on a shelf when I was a kid at somebody's house or in like a hotel or something and thinking like that game looks awesome. I think it's also funny that the four classes are hero, superhero, elf and wizard. <laughs> and it's not like superhero like superman it's just like a hero with like thor's helmet on i don't i don't get it um the basic mechanic is you go into a room you draw a card for the monster and there it has all the classes listed and all the spells listed and if you are that class it'll have a number there and you just have to roll higher than that number on 2d6 so some monsters are harder for some classes than others and are harder for some spells to beat than others and if you beat it you get a piece of treasure there if you're an elf you have to get like four thousand dollars or like ten thousand golds worth of treasure 
you're a wizard, you need like 30,000 gold worth of treasure and you have to make it back up to the top. So it's fun to just play with my brothers and sit around talking and bullshitting and drawing cards like, ooh, green ooze, that's crazy. The text on them is like not set properly. <laughs> it's like going off the cards. It's like, it's a total mess. But it like at that time, the idea of what a board game could be was so wide open. And it's not that it's not now. It's just that like most board games we play now, it's like, well, it's a drafting mechanic plus worker placement. You know, it's got a here's its ketchup mechanic, this and that. I feel like the board game arena has been explored so much more now that a lot of games are combinations of previously existing games. Whereas at the time, it seems like it was like a totally new thing. You know, you're going to play this adventure. It's going to be a little bit of role playing. Um, You could die. You could just be out of the game forever. So that's kind of the charm it has for me. From what I remember about Dungeon, it definitely seemed like a good game that you would make up as a kid yourself. Like, I'm going to draw this board and we're going to roll dice and we're going to go from place to place and you got to roll more dice if you land here and woo, yeah. And I think that's what you mean is it just goes back to the roots where if we went back in time, better do, better do, better do. And we just said, oh, is this a drafting mechanic? Is this deck building? Is this a worker placement? They'd say, what? What the? It's a board game. It's a game. What is it? You want to get the gold. It's like, but you could die. That's not fair. And they'd be like, yeah, it's really hard. Who's the designer of that game? Gary Gygax is one of the designers, but it's got a whole team. Chris Dupuis, I guess, Michael Gray, Larry Kessling, David Armagary. Like, it's on fifth edition right now. Um... I'm trying to remember the primary designer. He's at Gary Con every year, and there's a, Steve Winter. Yeah, I wish David I remember. Um, I'm losing my cred here, but he would just sign the copies. So if you ever go to Gary Con, which is in near your neck of the woods, SBJ, I believe he, it's in Lake Geneva. Yes, it is. So you can. Is that get, where Gen, it's? Is that the where Gen Con started? Okay. Yep. Before yep. they moved to Milwaukee and then to Indiana. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Or as the Indians say, Milwaukee. <laughs> yeah, so it was cool. Like, um, you know, D&D could have very easily not happened. You know, it, it took a lot of things breaking a certain way for the game we know as D&D to, to exist. And I think this board game is part of that history, you know. So I just thought it was super interesting. And I love these old games because, again, the playing field is wide open. So they'll do things that are total mistakes. But they're also experimenting a lot more. Then, you know, a lot of games you'll see on Kickstarter today, they're taking risks. Um, whereas, like, I bet the major problem with Keep is it's kind of like Sushi Go, but not as good and with different art. And it's like, where was the risk there? That's one of the design rules nowadays. As a game designer, first thing you have to do is ask yourself, this game I'm making, is it better than the game everyone's going to compare it to? Because if it's not, stop wasting our goddamn time. <laughs> I remember a friend of mine at Google saying that when they talk about hiring, there are so many good people working at Google already. The question they have to ask themselves is, would I fire someone right now to make room for this person? And that's kind of like what you got to ask yourself as a game designer. Like, is this game going to kill the competitor? Is it going to be so good that people don't even want to buy the other game? And that seems like really competitive. But I think at the very least, you need to be thinking of, no, this is just my version of Catan, and it's in space. It's like, well, great, cool, but you're not really adding to the discussion. You're just adding to the noise. You can also ask yourself, if people are playing this game, are they wasting my goddamn time? Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. SBJ, what about you, though? I asked myself play? over the weekend, what game do I want to play? Um, what, was, <laughs> what was really cool is, uh, so I got two new games that I think we'll eventually talk about. I got Pirate's Den, which, Pirate Den, which I think you got as well, Alan. Yeah, yeah, I played that. That is from Crash Games. That's a Patrick Nickel game. Uh, yep. Uh, I have yet to play it, though. And then I got Desert Island, which is the sequel to Lifeboat. Uh, which is also a Kickstarter game. So I got what? both of those. I backed that too. I didn't get mine yet. You already have yours? Bunch I, of bullshit. Yeah, I got mine the same time I got Pirate then. What? I still haven't gotten mine. Oh, I got to look into this. <laughs> Pirate Den is a Patrick Nickel game? I'm looking at It was a, a Boyan. Didn't Boyan make it from Table yeah. I'm looking at a Pirate Den by Gamesmith. But maybe yes. there's more than one Pirate Den. Games, so Gamesmith, which is run by Boyan, I can't remember his last name i'm sorry uh when the kickstarter radikovich yes when from what i understand when the kickstarter had trouble had trouble he then went to crash games for them to be the publisher to get it out faster Ah, i see that on bgg that's crazy what a what a baller move patrick see alan i know stuff too Mm. (laughs) still up for debate alan's trying to figure out where his copy of desert island is (laughs) maybe it's on a desert island so (laughs) i just talked to my wife yeah she hasn't seen it either this is bullcrap man (laughs) so i had uh i had so i had these two friends that i used to always play board games with and they ended up moving to texas Uh, but they were in town for the weekend because their family was still here in wisconsin so i think i've learned over the years that when i first got into board gaming i was always i live in texas (laughs) you live in texas I was always like, I want to play this. And then I would be disappointed that like either the rule, like no one understood the game or somebody didn't have fun. And then all of a sudden the whole night was like, blah, why do I even do board game nights? So instead I like to ask my guests what they would like to play because I know then at least they'll be happy. <laughs> Good luck. And I'm cool with playing with whatever for the most part. Let's play Monopoly. It's oh, way yeah. better than this. So... <laughs> So Cheryl, who uh, is my friend's wife, she was like, I remember when we played that dice rolling game and my friend was like, oh, Machi Koro. And I was like, perfect. Yeah, let's play it. Machi Koro is one of my favorite games. I recommended it a bajillion times in the last couple podcasts. I know. But more specifically, I just want to talk about the, so what I was recommending was Machi Koro with the expansion, uh, the Harbor expansion, which drastically changes Machi Koro and it, and kind of fixes the problems with the base game. Uh, The second expansion is called Millionaire's Row, and so that is what we ended up playing, and it was kind of a bit of a disaster because I was opening it up, and there's just so many more cards. And so um, just quick, just so we don't run over time with this podcast, uh, I love the expansion. It adds a lot of new cards. It adds a lot of new variables. It makes it... It still keeps, obviously, Machi Koro is a very random and luck-based game, but it does add strategy to it still. Kind of like Ticket to Ride, I, guess, I suppose. Um, my right. own, only complaint and only recommendation, and actually the rule book suggests this, it just doesn't, it, does, it should kind of throw it in your face. Do not combine all three sets and use every single card from all three sets. Because you will run into an issue where the later cards are like, this card would benefit if you have a whole bunch of farm stuff, or this card will benefit if you have a whole bunch of like cafes. And since there are so many cards, 
you're rarely going to stock up on one set. Like you're never going to have a whole bunch of cafes and then have the card that benefits from the whole bunch of cafes. Cause there's just so many cards in the deck. So like, if you don't like playing with like the farm stuff, just remove it. Like the rule book says that's cool. So that's that's my only recommendation. Like, do not play with like the hundred plus cards it does because the like the first twenty turn, not twenty turns, like the first ten minutes of the game, it was just like, all right, go pass. I can't buy anything. I'm getting one coin a turn. Pass, pass, pass. So like, just remove like oh like the parks are really lame. They don't really do anything. Just get rid of all the park cards. Uh, the sushi parlor is kind of lame. Get rid of the. That's my recommendation. It's interesting because I thought you were going to go the other way where the game's broken because there's so many cards. There's so many farm cards that those cards that give you income based on how many farm cards you have is now broken. But you went the other way. I was really surprised when you said that. Yeah. I, I haven't played with the expansions yet. My opinion of Machi Koro is I, I really hate it, uh, but I know that... <laughs> I know that so many people like it, and this is me. So I got it. It was one of the things I asked for Christmas. We played it, and I got it because so many people request it, and I don't hate it to the point where I'm miserable when playing it, but also I host Tuesday night parties, and usually there's pods of people that break off like, hey, the five of us are going to play this. Oh, well, the four of us are going to play this. Oh, we're going to do this. So I got it to throw to the plebeians of like, here, you guys like Maji Koro? You like rolling dice? <laughs> Here you go. But I haven't played with the expansion because you said the one expansion fixes what's wrong with it, making it more a skill-based game. So maybe I should try it with the expansion. Well, the just for our listeners real quick, the base game is just here is everything available in Machikoro. Buy what you want. And then whoever builds their first four landmarks win. And so my strategy in the base game that has always worked was never roll two dice. And just keep buying convenience stores. Because once you roll a four, you're going to get like 20 coins. And it wins every single time. Just only buy convenience stores. Only hope for a four. You'll eventually get it. Once you get it, you'll have enough coins to just buy everything you need for the rest of the game and win. Um, but I'm the, so bored right now. The, the expansions. <laughs> uh, instead of just laying out the base cards, you mix everything up and then you draw 10 cards. And if you draw a double, it just stacks on top. So once one pile runs out, you flip over the deck and then it adds something new to the marketplace. So then every game you play is just dramatically different instead of laying out. Here's what we always look at to buy. Steve's going to buy all the convenience stores and win. Now Steve can't. I think it's more of an ascension thing with the conveyor belt because once you buy something, that's when you replace something. Is that how it goes? Yes. SBJ? Yeah. yeah. So it's a conveyor belt system. Uh, that's pretty cool. I've never heard of it referred to that way. That's, yeah, that's I've never cool. heard of that, but that's a super easy way to explain Welcome it. to game design, guys. <laughs> it's a mechanic known as conveyor belt where Dominion has set decks. Ascension has a conveyor belt where you buy six, one of six cards, and when you buy a card, it's replaced instantly. I believe Power Grid also has a conveyor belt now that you've mentioned it. Grid of power as a conveyor belt? That's crazy. <laughs> uh, before we move on to our topic of foam guns or non-foam guns, there's a little bit of news that Alan wanted to bring up. Yeah, I guess this could be part of the topic of the episode. We'll just have a two-parters, but... Sure. It's time for a tabletop. As of now, Asmo Day 
is now going to be the North American sellers of Catan. So Mayfair Games is no longer in charge of Catan in America. It's Asmo Day. I thought that was worldwide. Worldwide English language. Oh, worldwide English language? <laughs> Maybe I should read these articles that people send my way. <laughs> Thank goodness for you guys. It's pretty crazy to me because I didn't know Asmo Day bought out Fantasy Flight and yep. Days of Wonder. Mm-hmm. And buying Catan is essentially tantamount to buying uh, Mayfair because I know Mayfair's got other games, but Do runs they? on the nun. Yeah, I'm. I mean, they'd have to, right? Nuns on the run. Nuns, Nuns on the, the run. run is their number two game. What's another good one? Because this is the thing about Mayfair Games. No offense, Mayfair Games, but I've always thought, oh man, they have Catan. Thank and? goodness. Otherwise, they wouldn't exist because all of their other stuff is dumpster lining. <laughs> I'm I'm confused why they just didn't buy Mayfair, but they probably didn't see the value in the other games, like you're saying. Yeah, it's probably because they're smart. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> they have Caverna? Uh, oh. No, they own the company who owns Agricola and Caverna. Urbania? I'm looking at their website right now, which is terrible. Uh, anyway, yeah. I mean, basically owning Catan is like owning Mayfair. But Asmodee is quickly rolling up into... I mean, they're already the biggest, but... It's like, well, besides they like Hasbro F2Z, and Milton Bradley, right? Yeah, that's true. They're huge. I mean, there were articles in like Forbes about this, um, especially when they acquired Fantasy Flight, which was the, which yeah. is just a huge board game merger. It's crazy. Sean, it what are you going to do if, if Asmodee calls us? I think I would sell for a million. <laughs> I could just, split a million with you. Just a million? Five hundred thousand each way. It'd be really easy to walk away if I just knew after Texas, you and I were just going to have a million dollars just to each. Because <laughs> yeah. I've always said, like, we got six more days of the week, man. Seven lives for this company. <laughs> we'll make Wednesday yeah, night I games think... tomorrow. Exactly. Yeah, we'll sell Tuesday night games. Hello, Wednesday morning. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, I I don't think it's like. I mean, it's obviously big news, but I don't think it like changes anything like day to day it's just like no okay. not for gamers yeah yeah not for gamers that's cool it's just it's just an interesting trend i mean we're just seeing the emergence of the next you know multi-conglomerate board game company and obviously it was going to be Day, but like up until now the thing i loved about Day was they just picked the best possible games and i guess Catan is one of the best possible games but it's not interesting you're seeing a lot more fun, cool stuff come yeah. out of the indie guys. Well, Asmodee has Cash and Guns, and they have foam guns. Hello. Whoa. So we probably, you guys probably need foam guns. You think so? so? You think debate. we need foam guns? Uh, yeah, let's get into this. Uh, I, I think I can safely say, because I played the game, and I under... So instead of foam... for Alan, why don't you explain what you do... Why you don't have foam guns and why where the foam guns would end up. Well, we're not sure if we're going to have foam guns because this is the this is the item of contention. We have to figure out if we want to manufacture, which will be at the very least ten dollars more. So the main question is, would people want World Championship Russian roulette around a twenty-five dollar price point without foam guns? 
or they want it at a $35, $40 price point with foam guns. Is that probably a fair guesstimation, Sean, of price points? Yeah, I think I think there's some swing in there, certainly based on like how thick and what the exact designs are, um, and the kind of margin we'd need to keep to to sell it hobby and and uh, all the other distribution channels we want to go with with this game. But yeah, I think uh, the question is largely about price point and fun, and then to me something which is. Gamers notoriously want more for less, even if it doesn't add anything to the game. It's known as perceived value, this term that Sean and I keep on hearing from other manufacturers and publishers, perceived value. It's frustrating, really. For instance, if your game ha- has all cards and it's $20, $25, uh, people say things like, it's just cards. It shouldn't be so much. I don't want to pay that much Two for rooms it. Two and boom is just cards. It's not, it's not cards, just cards, leader. SBJ. <laughs> My God. Um, <laughs> but, you know, a game can really change that, like, by just making some of the cards tokens or adding tokens to it, uh, adding player aids, that kind of thing. And they really, the diversity of the different components really creates a higher perceived value, even though you're getting the same game. We're looking at using punch-out cards rather than regular cards, akin to One Night Ultimate Werewolf, where they have those big, thick character cards. We're looking at that because they're not that much more money, and if we buy a big print run, it's very little. Yeah, it's very nominal, but the perceived value is so much more than cards. And a lot of people would think, well, this has to cost way more to manufacture than cards. Not so. It's interesting. But you were going to say SBJ. Oh, yeah. Go ahead, SBJ. Well, I think we touched on it before that, like, anytime now, I feel like Cash and Guns has set the standard of, oh, you guys should have foam guns. I think that's where it really came from, right? Yeah. I mean, without Cash and Guns. Yeah. Plenty of people have played the game and thought, why don't you have foam guns like in Cash and Guns? And we got asked enough to actually start looking into manufacturing. Yeah, so the difference between cash and guns in your game is cash and gun guns, you're using the gun to point at somebody, and you're usually pointing at that somebody for like 30, 45 seconds to signify that this is your choice. Whereas in Russian Roulette, you're really pointing at yourself, and honestly, you don't need to. It's helpful. It lets people know that you're ready. It's good for the theme of the game. It adds to the tension. But you don't need to in the same way you need to in Cash and Guns. I right. Think. Yeah, my friend Ben Canellis actually said this pretty eloquently. He explained that in Cash and Guns, it's an essential part of the mechanic feeling the tension of having the gun aimed at you. Because in Cash and Guns, when someone's aiming their gun at you, if they chose to load their gun, you don't know... You can fold, basically. You put down your gun, and you're out, and you're safe if you think they put a bullet. So it's an essential part to feel that tension of having a gun or guns aimed at you. But in World Championship Russian Roulette, you do aim your gun at other people sometimes if you play an action card, I bang you, which is instead of shooting yourself in the head, you get to aim at someone, but they can't respond to it. Not really. Their tension there is, uh oh, well, I may get shot, but they can't just fold and stop pulling the trigger or bow out. That is not one of the options, at least not currently in the game. So 
there is a big difference there. And that is why Ben Canellis, he said thoroughly, without hesitation, like, no, no, no. Cash and gun has foam guns. You guys don't need foam guns. It's interesting because we recently, this is just this past Tuesday, actually, we Sean and I have been talking about this on the phone a lot and said, you know what? I'm being irresponsible. I should be playing it with foam guns to experiment with this firsthand. So we had about eight people talking about it and it was actually kind of frustrating. The responses that I got from guns versus no, no guns. How so? Well, there was a couple people that said, yeah, no foam guns. Like Ben Canella said, no foam guns. And there were a couple of people that said, yeah, definitely guns. It adds so much. What did Matt Smolik say? He wasn't there. Mm. I know we trust that guy, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah, he was not one of them. And we only played the game with five people. So other people were just spectators that we said, hey, what do you think? So it was frustrating in that between those eight people, it was the full continuum of hey, yeah, definitely guns too. No, no guns and everything in between. Some people are like, ah, I could go either way. Some people are like, I think they're better, but if not, and inevitably it was asked, why don't you do two versions? One with guns and Ugh. one without guns. Why not, Sean? Let me ask. And this is not me. I was going to ask that question. I, I figure I know the answer, but just. Well, one, it's just generally a bad idea to divide up your marketplace with two different products. Um because inevitably one of those will become more popular than the other and you have now ordered incorrectly. Now, when you have a company of a certain size, like, you know, Catan, you can have multiple versions and variants of your product out there because if one fails, the overwhelmingly popular one will stay afloat. Like having an app version for your game. I don't think the app version for Ascension is cutting into the board game version of Ascension, though it really should. Um so that's one of the reasons why, certainly at a company our level, it just would require too big a upfront investment. Um, and I yeah. really feel like from a consumer standpoint, it's like, why not get the one with foam guns? It's got more stuff in it. Could could you do? And I, I don't I don't know anything. Is this about, the expansion question? Go on. But do you know how like Board Game Geek has like a mm-hmm. upgrade part in their store where like for Space Alert, I could get plastic cubes instead of the wooden cubes it comes with and i could pay like five dollars for that the problem with that is we'd have to include space for the guns in the box which means you've got this giant empty box now because these guns are huge so we'd have to plan on it um the other thing is we need to have packaging for the guns themselves so that ups the price so if you're looking at a game without guns at $25 and a game with guns at $40. So there's that $15 increase. Just buying the guns would probably be a $20, $25 purchase because now you also have to pay for the packaging mm. of the guns that aren't already in the package alone. But Sean is absolutely right where a lot of people say like, well, crap, this doesn't even fit in my original box. Yeah. I Which mean, I I'm, hate. I don't think the game needs guns i'm just playing devil's advocate it definitely doesn't need guns because the vast majority of people who've played it have never played it with guns and they all loved it otherwise we wouldn't be going forward with it i feel like the tension of the game is in flipping those cards over now whether the now whether the inclusion of guns would increase our profits or sales substantially is really the question we're looking at a good example i think today we talked about was mage wars right alan yeah yeah we talked about mage wars 
in Mage Wars, you have this very expensive component, which are these spell books, which have to be included in the game. But the game is basically unplayable without them, even though mechanically it doesn't affect the game at all. It just helps you play the game better. Sort of like um, One Night Ultimate Werewolf's app. You don't need the app to play, but it, inc- it makes the game so much easier to play that essentially you do need the app to play. Mage Wars, I would not play without the spell books. The spell Absolutely. books make the game. And I've heard the same thing with Cash and Guns, which is an interesting. I've heard several people, not even friends with one another, on a separate accounts say the foam guns is what makes Cash and Guns fun. I would agree with that statement. Which is sad for Cash and Guns. Yeah, I mean, but it's it's not a bad game though. The the thing is, it's just being aim, getting a gun aimed at you. It really incites that. Whereas if it was just fingers, I don't know. I don't know. I think in why I would say like if Cash and Guns had no guns, it for me I wouldn't bring it places because I know when I, when I open it and I'm teaching it to new people. They're always like, oh, what crazy game is Steve going to bring out? How long is it going to take to learn this? And <laughs> like what Cash and do- Guns does is once they see the foam guns, they they grab them right away. It's like sure. a lot of games, people don't gravitate to a game piece instantly and like just start pointing it at people. And we're like, oh, my God, this game has guns. Like, we're going to kill people. And it's just like. <laughs> and I don't think Russian Roulette has that problem. I think once people say here, like, yeah, it's World Championship Russian Roulette. We know within two seconds if that person is a customer or not, because immediately they get that joke or we say like, hey, the, you know, you're the captain of a world championship caliber Russian roulette team. And people are like, oh, man, oh, I got to play this, you know, whereas like if you say cashing guns to me, I'm like, OK, I'm, that could be anything. It really could be any kind of game. <laughs> it could be Monopoly with, you know, it could be Grand Theft Auto. You bring up the next point. That is when we had the guns. It was a little bit more intense seeing someone aim the gun at their head. And some people are actually putting the guns in their mouth then, which totally chides in on the whole suicide aspect because there is a good percentage of people who are very offended by World Championship Russian Roulette because it has guns, number one, and number two, it insinuates a suicidal environment or suicidal situation. But... One of the things I brought up was individuals playing the game said, yeah, it definitely is more intense and exemplifies that. But if you weren't offended already by World Championship Russian Light, you're not going to be any more or less offended with the inclusion of foam guns. So that that argument was just kind of out the door. Like we wouldn't not include foam guns because of that demographic because we've already insulted. We've already lost those people. We've already lost those people. Something interesting that this brings up to me, which I feel like I'm seeing more and more with the rise of Kickstarter or the dominance of Kickstarter, is are we buying components as consumers or are we buying the design, the game design? I know it's a mixture of both, but for the sake of argument, the 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 whole question of perceived value somehow indicates that the quality of the components are equal in value to a player as the actual game itself. Depends on the player for sure. There's definitely those people that will hate a game just because it looks like garbage or love a game just because it looks beautiful. And then the other side of that too, where they don't give a damn what it looks it looks like. But the dilemma we're really in here, SBJ, is Sean and I, I mean, we care, but not that much. We're just thinking, give us the answer. Which one will people <laughs> like and purchase more? 
Will it be the 25 without guns? Or will it be the 40 with guns? Whichever one is the correct answer, we'll do. We just need to figure out what the correct There's answer is. There's actually a marketing exercise that a friend of my dad's told me about. I think it's called laddering. Um, but it's like where you add and take away things at random to a customer to sort of find out what they really want. Because if you say like, okay, do you want foam guns or not? They're going to say, yeah, I want foam guns. Okay, do you want foam guns for $50? Oh, no. Okay, what if it's foam guns and $50, but we also give you metal tokens? Okay, that, that sounds great. Okay, what if we make it $25? No foam guns, no metal, you know what I mean? And you sort of bounce them back and forth between adding and taking away things to sort of get them to actually honestly tell you what they want, which a lot of times I think most of these people don't even know. I think in the abstract saying, yeah, give me foam guns is very easy. What if... um you go more of a indie board and cards, indie card and board, indie board and cards, indie board and cards. So with the their very first edition of the resistance, it was just here are the spies and here are the resistance. And then second edition was here are the spies, here are the resistance, here are these other uh, what are they called? Event cards, mission cards, yeah, something like that. And then. The third edition, they took away the mission cards, and they added... If you're insinuating that we continue to make the game worse over time, then I think I like what you're saying. Well, what I'm, what I'm, what I'm saying is, why wouldn't, like, first edition be no guns? And then if it does really well, you could do a second, more deluxe edition with guns, you know, in a year or two when you're out of stock, and you have to reorder, and you have to make these choices. I think I think that's a, that's a good argument. I think... Um, if you think long, long term, I'm talking five, ten years, um, like a lot of some of these successful companies are, you absolutely have room for that kind of decision making because you could say, yeah, eventually we were ordering 100,000 copies of World Championship Russian Roulette a year, and uh, now the price point was so nominal, we could actually take it from a $25 game to a $32 game um, with foam guns, and that exactly um, fit our market, you know. It's not unheard of, SBJ. As we speak right now on Kickstarter is Dead Man's Chest, the third print run of it. And this time it's more money, but it comes in a tin and they have all new art. So now they're charging more money for it from what I can remember. But it's the same game that I already own. And I love it, by the way. Dead Man's, uh, oh, Dead Man's Draw. Did I say Dead Man's Chest? Dead Man's mm -hmm. Draw is a great game. But I was thinking, am I going to get this just for the tin and the new art? Nah, screw that. I'm not going to do it. But they're already but they're successful. New customers, you know? Yeah, there's new customers. They're already succeeding. And that's how they tap into both markets because people say, I already have this game, but I don't have it with the tin. <laughs> I mean, I'm that way. Like I did that with the... Uh, uh, what's Machi that? Machikoro. I did that with Machikoro. Uh, what's that uh, exploring Japan game? Tokaido. Tokaido. Mm. Uh, oh yeah where the regular game is $35 and they were like here is a really fancy version for $100 and I was like you like the worst games <laughs> <laughs> I was like yeah really fancy edition for $100 sure well every year like some 11 year old is turning 12 and getting into board games and some 17 year old is turning 18 and going off to college and discovering games for the first time so there really is a turnover in demographics we're just so new at this we haven't seen it yet you know what i mean like mm -hmm. nobody's at the age of the like, oh we used to play that game five years ago well some people are they're just dicks because of kickstarter but well, i remember when the print and play came out when was that 10 years ago 
Um, well, Sean and I haven't made our minds up yet. It seems like we're definitely leaning towards no foam guns. I think you could easily say right now no foam guns and no one who has already played it is going to be like, ah, no, forget it, not buying it now. Yeah, we definitely aren't losing any previously existing customers. Here's another argument that I love, which you actually, you brought up, Sean, <laughs> when someone says, man, you should play this game with the foam guns from Cash and Guns. The answer is, yeah, go ahead, go do that. Get the foam yeah. guns from Have Cash fun. and Guns. You yeah. own them. Oh, I don't own Cash and Guns. Oh. <laughs> You're welcome, Cash and Guns. Well, if you want to upgrade Championship Russian Roulette for $35... You can get cash and guns. And here's the thing. It's always very easy at the end of the day to make a decision about making the price of the game cheaper because the cheaper the price, the more people are going to buy it. And it's very easy to say we're passing on the savings to you guys. The game is fucking amazing. I love it. I've seen people trembling, afraid to draw the next card in their deck with their finger up to their head. You know what I mean? And not once has it been like, yeah, that game sucked, but I would have liked it if I had foam guns, you know? <laughs> Yeah, everyone who plays it, including SBJ's neighbor's dog, seems to like it, except for the rare individuals that have issues with the gun. And I'm not trying to take that away, but I, there's something very viable there. But I'd be interesting, even for feedback. So if people want to contact us, tweet us, at, yeah. Tweet us or do the podcast at Tuesday Night Games, that's night with a K, and let us know if you'd be more interested in a 25 version of the game without foam guns or a $40 version of the game with foam guns. Yeah. Let us know, man. Well, like I said, when I played it, I didn't think of foam guns. Like, it wasn't like... It, I didn't feel like the game was missing anything. I thought it was extremely fun, extremely good. My posse, as Alan calls them, uh, they all walked away extremely happy with it. Nice. And so... I, I will say dollars. <laughs> functionally, the guns did add something because sometimes it wasn't clear who was already out and who stole in. But with the guns, it was a definite visual representation of, oh, okay, Susie's out, her gun's down, she already blew her brains out, or she finished her bid of two trigger pulls. But Adam, man, he's still in it because he's quivering as his gun's in his mouth. So there was that, and that's why Crystal, my wife, was actually one of the people who said, guns, definitely guns. It just made it so much cleaner in that I knew what was going on with everybody because I could see their guns. However, she changed her mind the very next day and said, wait, I changed my mind. It's not totally necessary. So, Women. <laughs> For $100, you get a copy of World Championship Russian Roulette, and we will buy a copy of Grid of Power and throw it away. <laughs> and that's what you get. Last thing before we wrap up, and I don't want to put you guys on the spot. Um... But do you have a tentative Kickstarter date? As soon as possible. Okay. We're getting sketches in for art. And I'm so excited to see those sketches. So excited. Right. And I don't, I, and it, from what you guys have expressed to me, you don't want like another two rooms in a boom situation. Not it's that. easier to delay a Kickstarter than it is to delay the fulfillment of one. Right. We want to make sure that all of our I's are crossed and our T's are dotted before yep. we hit the launch button on this Kickstarter. There you go. But we're moving forward. We've made some great progress. We've been getting quotes back and forth. We're pretty excited about it. Cool. I'm very excited about it. I was very excited when I played it at Gen Con. But 
Nice. Mm-hmm. There we go. Alan, where can they find you? You can find me on Facebook. I'm lonely and I'll accept any friend request. My name is Alan Gerding, A-L-A-N-G-E-R, ding, D-I-N-G. I'm also on the tweets, at Alan Gerding. <laughs> I like that. Sean? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Sean McCoy, S-E-A-N-M-C-C-O-Y. And I always, how, is it Tuesday night game? It sucks. It's Tuesday night game. Well, yeah, just take the day away. It's Tuesday night games, but take away the day on Twitter. Cool. And then you can follow me on Twitter. It is at dragging a lake. I think that's all we got for you guys today. Uh, otherwise, this has been another episode of this board game podcast. You're supposed to say this episode is. And this episode is... Finished! (laughs) I've never said it before. That was perfect. That was a really good one.